I'm Julia Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the No-Till Farmer podcast series brought to you today by Montag Manufacturing. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Montag Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. Montag Manufacturing is your fertilizing equipment specialist. Offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems as well as auto steer carts, Montag's precision fertilizer placement solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Visit them at montagmfg.com. That's M-O-N-T-A-G-M-F-G.com. Growing cover crops in the northern states such as Minnesota can be a challenge. But the rolling hills in the southeastern part of the state are especially prone to erosion. So regional efforts have ramped up in recent years to adopt more soil-friendly practices, such as cover cropping and planting green. For this episode of the No-Till Farmer podcast, we chat with no-tillers Sheldon Lumen of Lewiston, Minnesota, and Mike Unruh of Winona, Minnesota, as well as Lance Klessig, a resource specialist with the Winona County Soil and Water Conservation District. For the first time ever, the young farmers both seeded cereal rye in fall of 2020, no-tilled soybeans into the standing rye in spring of 2021, and then crimped the rye a few weeks later. We checked in with them and Lance a few days after crimping to find out how their first experience with the practice went. Join us to hear about how their different equipment setups, timing of operations, and soybean variety choices affected their experiences, the benefits of networking with other farmers, and why they're committed to further experimentation. Well, thanks for joining me, guys. I'd love it if you would each introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about your background. Sheldon, do you want to start? Yep. Uh, Sheldon Lumen, 27 years old, Lewiston, Minnesota. Grew up on our family's dairy farm and been around farming my whole life. How about you, Mike? My name is Mike Unruh. I grew up on a farm outside of Winona, Minnesota. Um, I farm with my dad right now. Uh, The farm was started in the late 1800s. And we've been farming it ever since in the family. Um, I sell Dairyland seed. We do some custom forage harvesting. And then in 2019, I started under cover cropping, where we just specialize in cover crops and cover crop application. Um, we grow corn, soybeans, alfalfa, and cover crops. Okay. What, what sort of acreage are you talking about? Uh, we run about 700 acres. Great. And Sheldon... What about you with acreage and what's your cropping rotation? Uh, yeah, about 500 acres. I started farming on my own in 2018. We sold our cows 11 years ago and rented our land out. And then I went to college and came home and started farming when I was 21. And uh, started with 200 acres up to 500 now. And pretty much all corn soybean rotated with alfalfa and cover crops now. And so... Tell me about how you got interested or involved in no-till and the cover crops. Mike, has that been something your family's been doing for a while, or is this something that you instigated? No, it's actually something my dad started, I'd say 2013. Um, so we had some prevent plant that year, and we ended up putting in a cover crop mix in August. And dad said the next spring, well, we're going to no-till into that. And I thought he was crazy. My grandpa thought he was crazy. Grandpa said, we got to chisel plowed in order to get this, the trash buried. 
but we ended up no-tilling it and every acre that we had that mix on along with the no-till it was the best corn we had on the farm that year so then dad started trying other things he did the no-till corn and a green rye and we all thought he was crazy then and it worked out I guess since then I've kind of taken it from there and gone taking it to the next step. And Sheldon, since you kind of started on your farming on your own, I'm guessing no-till and covers was not part of the operation previously. No. Uh, I mean, our farm was full-scale tillage its whole life, basically. And Mike's definitely been doing it longer than I have and um, kind of just been watching Mike and Mike's been telling me over the years about it and this works. And, uh, you know, the first couple of years, I'm like, ah. Yeah, there was yeah. quite a few years you just looked over and you're like, what are you doing? Yeah, I really did. And then I just looked up to the ripper and went ripping. And Yeah. Um, he did have a couple interesting things with like rainfall, like, hey, Sheldon, this water isn't running where we didn't rip. And Yeah, I'd take videos and then show them like side by sides where one, the one you're probably thinking of, we had standing rye next to chisel plowed and the chisel plowed stuff was just running and there was no water running yep. where the rye was, so planted yeah he definitely did <laughs> yep yep okay have you been friends for a long time how did you get to know each other yeah we grew up not super close um i would say we went to different schools and stuff but uh his family did our dairy farms forage harvesting okay so that's kind of where i really got to know mike okay we started hanging out kind of after high school and yeah college sheldon started custom merging at that point and then we had him running in front of our chopper and Yep. Spend, started spending more time together and he'd hunt over on our property. And so he started seeing all that, I guess. Yep. Started hanging out more. Okay. Neat. Um, so I want to bring Lance Klesig into this conversation real quick because uh, that's how I got to know you guys. Lance, why don't you just uh, give us a little background about yourself also? Tell us where you work and what you're involved in. Uh, sure. So my name is Lance Klesig. Family and I run a farm over by Dakota, Minnesota called Heart and Soil Ridge. Uh, I've worked here in the southeast corner of Minnesota for uh, about five years now. and Spent a lot of my time in the soil health arena as far as cover crops and no-till, some grazing. Kind of gotten to know these guys by <laughs> just working in the same area that they're farming and we've become friends and done a different educational workshops, I guess, and learn alongside them as far as seeing what they're doing and you know, passing some ideas along back and forth. So yeah, that's a little bit of, of my history anyway. And you work for the Winona County? Yeah, Winona County Soil and Water Conservation District. Yep, that's what I work for. And Lance, you organized a self-guided cover crop tour this past spring for Winona County. Correct. Why don't you tell us what you wanted to achieve with that tour and how did it go? Well, I think the verdict is still out about how it's going because it goes, it started in April and it goes through the end of July, at least for right now, we might, might extend it. Um, so it was with COVID kind of being on the tail end of that. How do we provide some opportunities for people to keep learning from one another? We've done the traditional, like, you know, a field day, it's a certain day and a certain time. And um, actually had this idea from a neighboring soil and water conservation district over by Wasika. And so talk to them and um, kind of pitch the idea to a couple other guys that I'm uh, blessed to work alongside Everett Rolfing and, and Rob Miller, and they were favorable to it. So then I brought it to Mike and Sheldon and um, a few other um, farmers 
and we kind of put together a platform of a variety of different cover crop stops with being planting green um, or like the Millers where they're taking triticale after um, corn silage and then coming back and double planting soybeans or no-till planting soybeans. Um, Sheldon and Mike, both of you guys did, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that, but planting soybeans green into boot stage rye and then roller crimping, some interseeding in corn. So we had a variety of, of options to showcase. The sites are all within about 10, 15 minutes of Lewiston. So we put together a tour and people can go out on it uh, as they see fit when it fits, you know, fits their schedule, that type of thing. So. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty neat idea. And so have you gotten some pretty good feedback on, on that uh, format? So, yeah, we've had a number of farmers uh, personally told me that they've gone to, you know, these three sites or went to half the sites on maybe on a rain day. Um, last, I think it was last week, I was able to take out a bunch of um, high school and middle school students from the local uh, school district here, Lewis and Altura, and um, had some other farmers come down from like north of the Twin Cities, actually. So, yeah, we've had a fair amount of interest and hope to continue seeing that so farmers can see what the crops look like now, you know, in the, in the middle of summer and see how they're progressing, um, that type of thing. So, yeah, we've had a, a fair amount of interest for sure. Nice. Okay. So, yeah, I want to transition and talk about what Lance just mentioned, which is uh, both of you, um, you planted soybeans into stage cereal rye this spring, and then you roller crimped the rye at Anthesis. So I gather this was the first time each of you did this. And I just wanted to get your perspectives as first timers doing the practice. What did you think of it? How did it compare to how you've no-tilled soybeans in the past? That sort of thing. It's enough to make you nervous. Just <laughs> first time doing it. Dad definitely thought it wouldn't work. So like I said before, I kind of took what dad taught me when I was younger. And now we're going to the next stage. So the planting itself went really well. I mean, we didn't change any settings on the planter for how it was set up in a no-till and we just went right in. The rye didn't wrap, it was all nice and green. I, the rye was about waist high, so two feet. Yeah, it planted really nice. And then I'd say it was probably about two weeks after then we came and we did the roller crimping. So my biggest concern going into roller crimping was, are the beans gonna be too tall that we're gonna snap them off? And what we found right away when we pulled in and did the first pass is there's enough rye that holds up the crimper that it doesn't even kink the beans. So I was fine if the beans were gonna kink them, it's the same concept as the guys that are going out and rolling them with a the smooth roller and stressing the beans. Uh, I just didn't wanna snap. And in the end, we didn't, I don't think we stressed the beans at all by laying that rye down. And Give us a little bit more background on the timing of it all. So tell us when you planted the rye, when you planted the beans, and then when you did the roller crimping. So we both, I mean, it was both corn silage ground last fall and seeded rye in September, I would say, end of September. Middle, middle of September, yeah. Um, I seeded at 120 pounds. I can't remember what you did. I also did 120 pounds. Okay. The vertical till, his vertical till seeder, I just used a regular 8300 John Deere grain drill. Um, nothing special about it. And then obviously they, they grew in the spring and rye grew in the spring and uh, let the rye go to boot stage. Mm -hmm. And had to patiently wait. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, needed some yeah. patience, but I was excited the whole time. I mean, cause that was the last step, last beans I was gonna plant. So I was excited. Um, 
I was really, I don't know, Lance knows when I was planting it, I was like a, I was super giddy. I was, I don't know. A kid in a candy store. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was having a lot of fun planting it. Just, I don't know. It was cool. So just because you were planting into the rye, it was yeah. different. Uh-huh. It's different. I don't know. I was, it, plants, I don't know. it plants so nice. Yeah, I don't I mean, know how to explain not, it. It's just like. Just the ground's so mellow. There's no dust. You don't have to worry. Yeah, yeah it's so simple. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's more complicated than it is, really. I don't know. It went super well. And then planted it and then waited patiently again because I wanted a roller cramp. I was really excited for that. Um, till anthesis. And you guys both used different types of rollers. I don't know if you guys want to share a little bit about how that came to be and the, what kind of rollers you used. Yeah, so I have a, a kind of a neighbor, I don't know, that, that has been doing this kind of thing for a while. Uh, Keith Speltz, he's got a INJ three-point roller crimper that I rented from him. Um, that worked pretty well. I think I needed a, a thicker stand of rye uh, to do the job better, to lay it down flatter. Some fields were better than others. Um, one thing I'll change for next year is uh, seed it a little heavier, probably, so that it would make a thicker mat and, and it would stay down rather than crimping and coming right back up. So, And we used a, a 15-foot Mendeco roller. Um, I was driving through one day and I saw it sitting at a dealership, so I asked the salesman if we could line up a demo, and he said yes, so then we kind of made our crimping plans around that. Um, I also think we need to seed the rye maybe a little bit heavier because it did, after we crimped, some of it did start to stand back up. I didn't get the kill that I was hoping to see. It did lay it flat, but it, I don't know, it kind of started to stand back up. So a thicker stand. And I think, I think next year I'll try to crimp a little bit earlier, maybe at the beginning of anthesis versus this year we're at the end. See if that makes a difference. So what is your thinking on that? To me, the plants, as they were starting to put a lot into the head and it seemed like it was more straw-like, it didn't seem to kink as well. Um, at first, I thought it was doing fine, but a couple of days later, I mean, it didn't seem to kink as well. So my theory is at the beginning of anthesis, the plant should be a little bit wetter standing. I would hope it would crimp a little bit better. The one thing is, it's this is the first time, so we could say something totally different in two months. We're using, I mean, we're going off the what we've learned listening to other no podcasts, farmer, yeah. other podcasts and yeah. uh, some of what Rick Clark did, you know, stuff like that. So we've never really seen it with our own eyes. So we're just doing it trial by error, really. It's a lot of fun. I don't know. Some people call it risky and stupid, but it's a lot of fun. I like to do things different. How many acres did you guys, I mean, I think you did like, was it 20 acres or something like that? Roughly? Uh, I did 40. Okay. And my did was, a 10 acre trial. Okay. So pretty big. I mean, yeah. a lot of people might go out and try it on three, four acres or yeah. you guys kind of dove off the deep end. Sheldon did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of sucked it. Yeah. And so was this VNS rye or did you have a, a named variety? So it is VNS rye, but we know what variety it is. Okay. It's labeled as VNS because they didn't do all the paperwork. So what variety was it? Can you say? Uh, it was either Ryman or Hazlitt. I'd have to go and look at my book. Okay. So, and were you guys pretty happy with, even though the rye was VNS, were you pretty happy with the stage of maturity? Was it pretty uniform or, or do you think it's worth trying a different variety? 
next year or what's your take on that i was happy with where it was i thought it all seemed fairly uniform i know in those cereals you know they don't all the heads don't come at the same time anyways if you drill it even if you have a varietal so i mean i wouldn't know a difference because i've never done it other a different way or you know so i I thought it was pretty good yeah fair enough and then um can you just also mention what you use to plant the beans just use my six row john deere 1750 30-inch corn planter. It's done a couple things to it. I mean, it's a conservation planter, so it's no-till. I actually took off the no-till coulters, and I put on STP opening blades, um, and then I put on spiked closing wheels, and that's all I've done. Seems to be pretty working fine. I mean, you were really happy with it. Yep. Yeah, right. I'm pretty happy. So. Yeah, so ours was planted with a... Um, white 8222 12-row planter. When dad built it, he set it up for no-till, so it's got a little bit heavier down-pressure springs. We put on the copperhead furrow cruisers, which we really like. We changed the residue manager to Yetter. I think it's a Yetter row cleaner with the precision air system that we like. And then we, when we did that, we got rid of the no-till coulter, which I think has made a lot of improvements. Yeah, so we didn't do much different to the planter, I guess. You've had that planner for what? A few few Ten years? years. Okay. Ten years. Yeah. So we didn't do anything different to our planters for this planting. No, no. It's the same we've used. Yep. Yep. And then I don't know if you have any additional thoughts that you want to share on the roller crimpers that you used. You probably each only used the one that you used, so I don't know if there's any way of you know comparing or anything like that. So I wanted to go get Mike's Mandaco, but I just never had the time. So I just did it all with the INJ. So I guess I couldn't tell the difference, but there was a couple different uh, differences on them. I don't know. Larger drum on the Mandaco. The Mandaco is a lot larger drum, a lot heavier. Like just as frame without water. Draw bar versus three point. Yep. Nice for trailing down the road. Yeah. I was able to lift it up when you're turning around, um, get more into tight places. I thought that was a... A benefit of the three-point. I don't know if it was a huge benefit, but part of me wishes we would have added some water maybe for half of the field. That Mendeco is an option. You could add water for more weight, um, but this is just me hypothesizing too how we could have got a better kill. So mm -hmm. I, the salesman and the uh, territory rep for the Mendeco said that as it just as it sits without water, it should be plenty heavy to kill the rye. So it's, it's probably something I did wrong on our end. And we got a kill. We just didn't get That's all your fault. the kill that I was picturing <laughs> in my head. So, maybe we're shooting for perfection. And maybe I'm not, yeah, maybe I'm not being patient enough. Yeah, that's that one thing, be. too. I think we, we picture this field in our mind that's completely flat. Yeah. I don't know. I think you got to have a little margin for error, just like anything. Yep. Really. And so will either of you go back with an herbicide pass on the rye that you did the roller crimping on? I think we're going to have to. I'm thinking about it, yeah. Actually, just got off the phone with the chemical uh, guy. So, yeah, thinking about it just so I can burn it down the rest of the way. But, you know, we talked, the rye is now almost going to full seed. I mean, we're not too far away. So do we just let it go to seed and, and rot down to the ground, you know, with the winds and stuff, it'll finish pushing it into the ground. So that's what we're debating right now. At least dad and I are. I don't know. I had one field that had a really, really good stand of rye that really laid down flat 
with the crimper. I kind of have high hopes with that one where I won't have to spray it, but it's a long growing season. So we'll just have to keep an eye on it. But yeah. uh, I still will probably leave a couple strips that I don't spray just to see what it does. And then that's as far as with the rye burned down, but then I'm thinking we'll have to maybe do one pass yet later season for any broad leaves that come through. But yeah. we'll just watch. If nothing comes through, it doesn't pay to do the chemical pass. It's so early yet; it's hard to say. I'm kind of excited. We didn't have to use. We didn't use any residual. No. You know, I haven't. Well, we haven't done any chemical passes yet. So. And that I mean that was one thing that it was just rye out there. Yeah. There was no other weeds to speak of, unless there was unless a gap. Unless it's thin. That, or unless there was a gap in the seeding of the rye, yep. which I had plenty, but there was very visible weeds in those gaps compared to where the rye was. Maybe can you guys share what what are your main one or two goals with trying the rower crimping? Was it the weed suppression? Was it the reduced, you know, eliminating maybe one pass or all herbicide? Or maybe you can share that a little bit too. My top two goals would be reduce one herbicide pass. And then another goal would be just to cover that ground because um, it was corn silage, you know, and that's just so bare soil, uh, especially in the spring with the with the thawing and the erosion, just to cover that soil and, and hold it in place was my main, second main goal, so. Our main goal was to at least cut out one herbicide pass, possibly two, and I can get rid of the residual, I think. I think the rye will suppress enough reeds that it, it wouldn't have paid to have residual on. Uh, the other one is, same as Sheldon with erosion, Dad and I are both sick of seeing dirt wash away and then really getting sick of fixing ditches. Yep. So where this rye was, it didn't cut any, you know, the rain, the spring rains didn't cut any ditches. We didn't have to go fix stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. And you, yeah. Julia, you've been down, obviously you were down that day. I mean, you see our fields, they're not flat. I mean, they're <laughs> gonna erode, they're steep and they're hilly. So yeah. anything we can do to slow that down, I'm all for it, so. I think the other big goal too is this is, there's a living root now, or there was, to feed, yeah. the, feed the biology in the soil. Yeah. I think that's something that we're just starting to maybe understand, but I think there, there's something about keeping a living root, and now you have all that decomposing dry matter for the earthworms to feed, and mm -hmm. we see such a, a large increase in the amount of earthworms anytime we plant rye. Yeah. So. And it's going to, think, hold a lot of moisture, especially if we stay dry. I mean, that mat of mm -hmm. armor is really going to help yeah. hold that moisture in so yeah we haven't had rain here for what has it been 10 days two weeks Longer, maybe? probably two weeks and it's been the highs have been above 85 every day right so and it's been days. windy and i mean the the bare soil has been getting baked for sure and that's been covered which is cool yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. and I don't know, maybe you guys when you say rolly or hilly ground maybe <laughs> you know some people are farming Two to four percent ground or relatively flat. What kind of fields? What kind of land slopes are we get? What are we talking about? I would yeah. say we're like fifteen. <laughs> Some of it is, yeah, twelve to fifteen. I mean, pretty slopes. much all the fields that I farm on the on the maps are HEL, highly erodible land. So yep. I mean, Same. Uh, it's not flat. Um, every field I have either has a contour or some sort of hill in it. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah, and that's you know we're in the driftless area, yeah. so we really do have some yeah. very steep fields, but also the bluffs, you know, ground yeah. down in the river valleys. So yeah, we're 10 miles from Winona, which is the river, Mississippi river. So yeah, no, only a mile. Yeah. Mike's very close mile, to it. So, so. where we, not all of it's real steep. Some is decent, but some of it's yeah steep. 
we're in the bluff country, that's for sure. Not easy farming. <laughs> it keeps you on your toes, actually. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it's not boring. Like, you're in a square section or nothing. It's, yeah. uh, it keeps you on your toes, for sure. We'll get back to Sheldon Lumen, Mike Unruh, and Lance Klesig in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for supporting today's episode. Montag Manufacturing is your fertilizing equipment specialist, offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems, as well as auto steer carts. Montag's precision fertilizer placement solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Visit them at montagmfg.com. That's M-O-N-T-A-G-M-F-G.com. Now let's get back to Sheldon, Mike, and Lance as they talk about the differences between using upright versus bush-style soybeans. So I want to ask you, the day that I was there and I got to see you guys crimping the rye, Sheldon, your beans were a little bit lankier than Mike's. They had gotten a little taller. And so I'm just kind of curious. I know, Sheldon, you were planting non-GMO, Mike, you had GMO. Just wondering if you think it was a, you know, result of the different varieties or if it's something else or, or what? I don't think it had anything to do with that. I was thinking lately, I wonder if it doesn't have to do with varietals. Use an upright or a bush style bean. Uh, It's a more of an upright. So that could be part of ours is a bush style bean. So if it wasn't already determining to start setting the first leaves but uh, i mean another couple of things we thought about was i planted the soybean my soybeans what five days before you yep so mine had a little more growing time they were out of the ground in eight days i think because it was later it was what was it lance was it may 12th mm-hmm. i think so you yeah, planted 12th or 14th you so planted on the 17th mike yeah i think we're only two or three days behind you actually but, but it must have i don't know some of that must have mattered because there were my beans just were reaching up for sunlight so much more than Mike's. I mean, had the the cotyledon was open, and then there was there was probably I don't know four inches till the first unifoliate, yeah. and then they were lanky, so they were probably I'd say they were probably six to eight inches tall with just the unifoliate. They were looking for light for sure in that rye which I didn't really expect to them for them to do that that quickly, but I guess it is what it is. And that happened pretty late, right before we decided to crimp, I guess, because I was keeping an eye on them and they weren't like that. They, yeah. they were, they really weren't. I was, uh, I had high hopes for them. And then I'd say that probably happened in four days. Right. And it, they just went straight to the sky and didn't put any leaves out. So. And I don't know if you guys want to talk about, I think you planted a, a t- tad bit shallower versus you were trying to get them down into some moisture. I think, what were you at, like an inch or inch and a quarter? Yeah, I bought an inch. And, yeah, we went to like inch and a half, inch and a quarter, inch and a half, just to try to get them into moisture. Because yeah. when we planted, we were so dry too. Yeah. Well, we ended I ended up getting know. some good rain. but I must have had a little bit better soil moisture when I planted because I didn't think yeah. they were too bad. Did you remember? I think it was pretty good moisture, but... Yeah, you know, a few days can make a big difference. But, yeah, you know, but even a quarter inch or half inch difference in planting depth that, that can you know, takes a that a little bit that being a little bit longer to pop through. So yeah. just yeah, some food for thought. I think in the differences I saw. Yeah, yeah, not ideal. I don't think having them tall like that. Um, like Mike was saying, if the rye was thick enough, the crimper didn't even touch the bean because yeah. the the mat of the rye was keeping the crimper above the soybean. 
where those tall, lanky ones were, they were getting dinged for sure. Some of them were getting crimped. Yeah. Good. I'm sure we killed some. It's just nature of the beast. So you're going to run some over when you spray anyways. So what's the difference, right? <laughs> but that's the thing I was most nervous about was the beans being up. Yeah. Because at first I thought, well, we're going to hit anthesis before these beans are out of the ground. That'll work really. But then the beans started coming up and I didn't want to crimp right as they were coming out of the ground because that's when they're most brittle. But now looking back, the way the machine bridges over the top of them, I mean, our beans are up. I don't know, five inches. Yeah. It really didn't affect them at all. Yeah. So you I had some that got dinged though. Yeah. Every once in a while you'd see one. But I mean, I thought I was picturing in my head, these beans are just going to get flattened to the ground. Yeah. And it didn't do that at all. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd be comfortable more watching now. At first, I thought the beans have to be at a certain stage and the rye has to be at the right stage. Now, I don't really care where the beans are as long as they're not like third trifoliate. Yeah. If we can get them anywhere before second trifoliate, I think if we go and roll whenever the rye is ready, mm-hmm. even if the beans are just peeking up through the ground, yeah. they're most brittle, I think it'll still be all right because we're just going to bridge over the top. Yeah, I'd say focus on the rye stage next year yeah. more. And I think that was one thing that kind of came out with, you know, neighbor Keith was is kind of shared some different experiences, but then even we had a friend you know, Matt and Seth Tennis, uh, you know, down Kellogg area, they used the same roller crimper and, yeah. you know, they waited to the rye was a little bit more mature and then they planted their beans. So they probably, you know, were in that stage when the beans were just emerging. And yeah. It's kind of a neat, neat way to learn together. You've got three, four guys doing it and for the one, first time, right. Yeah. And one guy that's got several years of experience, you know, yeah. so. But in our ideal world, we for sure would like dad and I, if the beans could be up, when we hit the anthesis at the right time, if we could stress them a little bit you know, and do that same concept as the guys that are rolling them flat. So I'm not against them being up and out. I, so would, I would just like to see them not so lanky, mm-hmm. more leafy. Yeah. Can you elaborate about why you want them to be dinged a little bit? What happens to the nodes and things like that? If So what I've learned from friends of ours that are out in central Minnesota that I know for sure are doing it is they're rolling them flat at the first to second trifoliate in order to stress the beans enough to shorten the nodes and possibly throw a second stem. Some of the research that I read online, no-till farmer, some of these other ones, um, is that beans actually like stress. Yeah. So opposite, you know, I told my grandpa that and told him that need to be planting beans early and he said that'll never work. And, you know, we're starting to do this stuff and stress them more and the yields are doing well. So interesting. Okay. And so it's been about a week since you guys did the rolling. Um, how are the beans looking now? Uh, I haven't had a ton of time to scout the fields um, a little bit yesterday. Um, it's kind of cool to see that, you know, they kind of laid down the tall lanky ones and they're kind of starting to curl up now. Uh, with the first trifoliate, they're they're pushing up now, so it's kind of cool to see them do what they have to do to come through that mat. Uh, that was just on one field, so I didn't get a chance to scout them all. But um, how about you? I also haven't spent a lot of time in the field. We're trying to get spraying and everything else done, but the little bit I did, you're starting to be able to pick rows out through the thick rye, yep. which is cool to see. So I know that they're getting the sunlight they need, mm-hmm. and I think they'll be able to. Now that they have the sunlight, they'll be able to do what they need to. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, and I know a lot of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, all these states got a really late frost in 2021. And some people found that beans and some corn also that was growing with a cover crop got dinged, whereas people who had their stuff growing without a cover crop maybe didn't get dinged. I don't know. It seems like it was highly variable, but either of you have any experience with the frost? I'd say very variable, just like you said. You know, we had we had planted some corn in standing green rye and it had been sprayed. And that corn that was in the rye did get dinged by frost. And the stuff right next that didn't have rye did not get dinged. But you let so the rye go away. Yeah, the rye got a little further away than I wanted usually. So the stuff that had the rye sprayed, corn growing, got dinged. The beans that were in that we planted roller crimp, they still weren't crimped when that frost hit, and that didn't it didn't affect them at all. No. So I don't really know what to attribute. It's just very variable. Yeah, there was no set in stone reason for I don't know. I didn't think anyway what got dinged and what didn't. Well, and some people like 15 miles from here lost whole fields of beans, and you know their neighbor two miles down the road didn't get affected. So. But would you guys say there was any difference with like where you had like cover crop that was still growing like on any corn? Did you have any corn mite that was not sprayed that? Okay, so that's one thing I've noticed that if the cover crop was terminated, that seemed to maybe that temperature maybe got a little bit lower versus if you had corn or beans with a live cover crop, that, makes that may have helped. Yeah. But I think the variable is very true. So um, I want to just shift a little bit. I know that you guys are good friends. You live near each other. Just sort of curious, how helpful is it to be able to sort of bounce ideas off of each other and compare notes throughout the, the growing season? How does that help you guys? I think a lot. It's uh, really it, nice. It's huge, actually. I don't know. We've been doing that stuff for a long time. Pharma. Yeah, bouncing ideas and... We text a lot. I don't know. Sometimes we don't respond to each other, but we, we read them. So like in regards to the roller crimping, we're both the rye and everything was at the same stage. So we'd be like, well, are you thinking about planting now? <laughs> yeah, I think we should. How about next week? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we bounced a lot of that and it's nice that it's not like, it's not just me doing the roller crimping and beans. It's he's doing it too. He's doing it a little bit, you know, different with the conventional beans. So it's interesting to see the differences, but at the same time, I remember telling him one morning, the morning before we were going to crimp, I said, I just don't know. I'm worried about laying these beans over. And in the, in the end, I know he had the same concern. So it's nice that you don't feel alone, kind of have a little bit of community. And Yeah. Yeah. And it helps with doing stuff like that too, but learning too. I don't know. We both do things a little bit differently so we can see what worked out at your place or mm -hmm. what worked out at my place or I don't know. We're very open with each other. We'll tell each other straight to our, each other's face that that's a dumb idea or whatever. Yeah. Uh, we're not, we don't hide any emotions. That's for sure. So it's very nice to have that uh, relationship. But I mean, cause one of us can have an idea and you bounce it off and then you, you start to critique until you get a, a really good idea or a solid plan to move forward. That just happened yesterday where you had a good plan and I brought something up and you're like, huh? Yeah. Yep. I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So they kind of change, you know, versus if it's just yourself, you might overlook key details. You know, you got two of us thinking and we're thinking differently. Yep. So I think it's and nice. And there's probably a benefit. You guys are both young. You know, you obviously both have your, your parents influence and others, but 
there's probably a lot to be said for thinking outside the box and being innovative, willing to try it, you know, versus if you didn't have each other and you're, you know, maybe if your parents weren't as supportive, you know, but I mean, I've I've met both, both your parents and uh, they both seem quite supportive actually, which is a blessing. So what is next on the agenda for each of you? Oh, interceding this week. Yeah, I plan on uh, actually just picked up a spinner spreader this morning to intercede five-way mix in 60-inch corn this weekend. So that's what I'm going to do next. What's Tell us a little bit more about that. What are you, how are you planning? You're going to spin the seed on? Are you going to do any incorporating? or? I'm going to spin it on, and then right after, ideally I wouldn't incorporate it, but uh, there's zero rain in the forecast to, uh, to work that seed in. Um, so I am going to run down the rows with the rotary, my rotary hole that I kind of customized to not hold the corn, but in between the rows to just kind of throw a little bit of soil on top of that seed to hopefully germinate it with the dry weather. So that's my plan. What's in your mix? It is a five-way mix of annual ryegrass, Persian clover, red clover, bayou kale, and purple top turnip. How many pounds roughly? 26 pounds to the acre. That's what you're gonna shoot for with that mix? With that mix, yeah. Mainly ryegrass, I mean 18 pounds of ryegrass, I think so. But the, the other seeds are so small, so yeah. got a lot higher seed count. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, we did it last year on 30-inch rows, and we just used a very simple cone spreader, and it worked. Yeah, there mine was, worked better than yours. Yeah, you did it a little it earlier. earlier. Yeah. So last year I did it at like B7. Oh, yeah. so you waited quite a while. Or yeah. Michael, what was yours at? I just didn't get to it. Uh, V5, and yeah. I wanted to do it earlier yet. So now, I mean, I wanted to do it V3, V4. Well, here we are, it's V5 already. Mm-hmm. For uh, this year, you're talking. For this year, yeah. yeah. So we just kind of lost track of time. And like I said, it's been hot, so the corn's been shooting up, growing fast. So I want to do that ASAP before the before the 30s shade. I mean, we got time with the 60s still, but uh, I'm doing like 12 acres of 60 inch and about 18 of 30 inch interceding. So we'll see. We'll see which one is better or worse. Or and what's your goal for the 16 inch? Yeah, what are you going to do with? Why are you doing 16 inch corns? Um, so I want to. I have a beef cow herd, 20 cows, cow calf. Um, I want to be able to graze them on that cornfield after the corn is harvested, and not have to feed anything. Just have them graze through that green stuff and the corn stubble. Um, last year, I was able to get a month out of it um, with the so so cover crop biomass i'm hoping for at least two months um, maybe not till january one i don't know to start feeding to start feeding yeah and i mean if you don't have to feed your cows you don't have to start equipment you don't have to haul their manure it's just cost savings all around so plus the soil health aspect i mean as diverse as you can get the better in the fields and the cows spread their poop for free so you don't have to do that and there's just a lot of benefits that I know I'll see. Um, just have to do it. I also plan to do some interseeding as more of a trial again this year, just for not for grazing, just for um, soil health benefits and diversity. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, yeah, probably just keep doing more cover crops this fall. Yeah, we've been trying to grow the business a little bit more. Yeah. So I've been slowly ramping up, not slowly, I guess, <laughs> my cover crop usage. It started at a little bit like 
40 acres, 30 or 40 acres, 30 acres. Yeah. yeah. And then jump to like a hundred the next year. And last year was almost 300. So, so in three years time, you've gone from essentially 30 to 300. Yep. That route. Yeah. Well, in regards to that, my goal this year is I plan to have a equipment to cover more acres again. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping to just get all of the acres with a cover crop. So it'll be late. Well, we'll see how fall goes, but usually it's late when we take corn off. But Sheldon did a, we did a trial last year at his place where we put rye on the surface very late and it came. Yeah, that was like November 25th. It was late. <laughs> we just spread the rye on top. Right on top. And just uh, broadcasted. Yeah, yeah, that was only 70 pounds. So I'm, the way I saw that come, I'm more confident to try a lot more of that this year. Rye is tough. It, it, it'll grow on almost concrete. Pretty much, what, uh, yeah, two by four. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, well, I just need moisture. Uh -huh. It's probably been advantageous, Mike. You sell cover crop seed through Saddle Butte and, yep. and Biotill, but just having that, you know, you have a, a connection with, you know, a couple different guys. I don't know if you want to share anything about how that's, has that been, how that's worked out for you? Yeah, it's been nice. So I started the undercover cropping in 2019 and I sell seed and do application and then sometimes consult with Sheldon, so consulting. Yeah. Um, it's been nice though, cause I just, if we want to try stuff, usually I have the seed on hand or I can easily get the seed. And then, you know, we try different mixes. And So uh, do you each have one piece of advice for farmers who want to get into no-till and covers? If you're not sure, if you're not sold on it, do a small amount first, um, less risky. If you're comfortable with it, less risk, try it. Don't do a big amount of it. Um, and then a kind of along with that, don't do it just once. Um, multiply it because if you had a bad experience, that's just life sometimes. I don't know. Sometimes things don't work out. Do it again. See if it happens again. Um, stick with it. That'd be my advice. My recommendation is to the cover crop is another crop. Don't just think it's easy to just throw it out there and be done. You have to manage it like another crop. So where we're doing rye ahead of corn and then no tilling the corn in, we have to actively manage that or the rye will get too far away on the corn and you'll see it in the yield. It's fun, it's rewarding. I really believe in the cover crops. I believe in, in what they're doing for the soil and how it's changing it, but it's, you have to manage it. You can't just walk away from it. Things can go wrong. Yeah, yeah. you gotta manage it. And yeah, maybe what, what else, when you say manage it, what are you, how are you being proactive in that, with that as far as your nitrogen or when you're terminating, is that kind of what you mean? I mean, I mainly think of corn yeah. ahead of green and planting in green rye and getting it terminated timely Yeah, mm -hmm. because so, we've done it, you know, we learned, so we terminated it really late and you could just see it in the corn. I mean, there's yellower, the yield was down next to stuff that was terminated on time or not at all. Yeah. So sure. there's benefits, but you'll get to a point and specifically to the uh, regards of corn in rye where if you don't get it terminated on time, it will actually cost you. So just management is the, don't just think, throw it out there and be done with it. You got to manage it. And kind of, kind of bouncing off of that, people that don't do it or don't really see the benefits will call that a failure. Yeah. And they'll be like, they'll point it out. They're very quick to point that out. That didn't work. Well, not so much a failure, but a learning experience to know what to do next time. That's just one thing, I guess. We've kind of learned with some neighbors that some people are quick to point out, well, that didn't work. You know, why would you do that? Or 
be comfortable being uncomfortable. Exactly. It's really uncomfortable sometimes oh, to do this stuff. Yeah. Because nobody else is. Nobody else is doing it. Kind of out of the norm. So sure makes the neighbors look though and wonder what the heck is going on. That's for sure. Yeah. So you really you don't have very many people in the area doing what you guys are doing, huh? I mean, there are some. There's more. Uh, what I found interesting is when we started, there was us and another neighbor that were kind of doing it. And so then you had people like Sheldon, who's not too far away, and some other neighbors that were watching and kind of wondering, and they watch maybe two to three years, and then they decide, well, maybe I've been seeing it actually works, or, you know, your corn doesn't actually look that bad. So if you have any recommendations, or, you know, maybe they then all of a sudden they try 20 acres. Well, before you know it, you build up a pretty big pocket. You know, so almost all of our neighbors now, for the most part, are trying some sort of 20 acres or 30 acres of cover crop to see how it'll work. And it's amazing to see how it progresses because now I'm getting questions uh, that I've never, we haven't done before. So guys are wanting to try like, how does it work putting alfalfa in the Sierra? I said, I don't know. We haven't done it. So we're trying it. And it's amazing how quick other people will latch on and start to take it to new levels. It's a snowball effect. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It started small and it's amazing to watch it grow or watch areas grow. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Well, so Lance, um, why don't you help me wrap this up? Um, how are efforts like what these guys are doing making a difference in your area? Yeah, so I think these guys are obviously innovating and trying to lead by example and not they're not afraid of trying different methods. And so that provides an opportunity for others to stop by and learn or like Mike was saying to come up and directly ask them about what are you doing it? What, how are you doing it? Why are you doing it? Uh, what are the details? But then that then kind of stimulates more questions and more ideas. And so I think, yeah, it really is taking off. I mean, I think Southeast Minnesota has a, some pretty good history of using cover crops behind corn silage, but, and that was a good foundation. Uh, but I just, I see it. Yeah. Like, like we're saying there's pockets, but even these pockets kind of are starting to overlap and, um, you know, with this tour, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, I think the opportunity it's providing for people to learn from each other, do it on their own schedule. Yeah. It, I think there's just, um, it's been a really good thing. And I think we're going to hope to continue it even this fall and, and in the next year, uh, trying to, again, to showcase what's working, what things we're learning from and, uh, what new things to try. So, yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having us on, Julia. Yeah, thank you, Julia. Yeah, it's been a, been a good morning. Thanks to Sheldon Lumen, Mike Unruh, and Lance Klessig for this chat about crimping cereal rye in green-planted no-till soybeans. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R. 
and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening.